Hi, this is Graham Brown and welcome to the Excel Podcast. The Excel Podcast is a platform for the bigger conversations about leadership in the 2020s. Who's leading? How are they leading? And what stories do they have to share? Through the stories of leaders, we'll address the big challenges of our times from the era of AI to the Asian century to nurturing a new generation of entrepreneurs. If you're enjoying these conversations, subscribe to the podcast at xlpodcast.org. Hey everyone, this is the XL Podcast, giving you an insight into the world of leadership, business, entrepreneurship, growing businesses, the challenges, the journey, I would like to put it, because it's never a straight line, is that joining us today, all the way from Australia, Katrina McKinnon. Katrina, welcome to the show. Thank you, Graham. I'm very happy to be here. It's great to have you here as well. And one of my favorite subjects as well, content in all its wonderful forms. We're going to go there. You know, many years ago, Bill Gates said content is king. So he got a few things right. We're going way back to the 90s, 80s, maybe even. So that's where we are now. I mean, it's so important content in business. It can make or break businesses. It can create a business. It can drive traffic. And once you plug into that fire hose of traffic, you're made in many cases, aren't you? Until the algorithm changes. So let's talk about that. When people think content, they think SEO, they think playing the Google game, the algorithm. I was reading recently and curious to hear your thoughts on this. And I'm sure listeners would love to hear your opinion on this as a seasoned content pro is that Google recently said in Search Engine Journal or quoted in Search Engine Journal saying that they don't necessarily know how to clarify whether content is created by AI. And there's a lot of AI writing tools. I'm sure we're going to talk about those today. They don't know whether or not it's written by AI, but using them in any capacity, this is officially from Google, is considered spam. That's a pretty much a big announcement, isn't there? It's massive. And, you know, and as you say, you know, the, the head of the show, you said uh, content is king, but creativity is queen. And that's what Google's trying to get to. So Google doesn't even like SEO content. So Google doesn't like to be manipulated. And uh, it sees AI as artificially manipulating creativity, even though ironically, of course, that's what Google's based on itself is AI. But yeah, no, it's this thing where I think Google is just trying to push us towards a more human-centered approach to sharing information online. It, it, Google just wants the best possible experience for people, and that's always been the case. They've never changed their tune with that. And AI for content creation certainly has its use cases. It can be used and it is used successfully by many people. But I think it's there's a little bit more of a nuance in how you can use AI for content generation yeah. and how you can balance that with creativity. Mm. I like this idea of content is king, creativity is queen. Just using the AI tools itself is not a solution. Maybe they are useful in some way, but they're not the solution, are they? What, can we talk a little bit about what exactly is out there? I mean, for those that don't know, there are tools based on libraries like GPT-3, yeah. which are actually very convincing at first glance that it's written by something, a human maybe, but up to a point, and then you realize actually something's wrong with this. You know, if you've got that voice in your head, you're listening as if that person's speaking to you. It doesn't sound quite right, but they're getting better and better, these tools. And as a result, 
they're widely available, aren't they? You can go online and you can find and pay for these tools and they're not cheap. Pay for these tools and they will generate copy for you. And I've actually used these. So I've got kind of experience positive and negative of them. But what's your take on these tools? And, you know, what, who's using them? You know, do they serve any kind of purpose? And how convincing are they? Yeah, so some of them do absolutely serve a purpose um, and they're getting better, as you say. But the purpose they serve is not a wholesale purpose in that I think that the mistake people often make is they just plug in um, their content or their their phrase that they want to perhaps rank for. So let's say you want to, uh, let's say you want to rank for uh, fountain pens. They will just plug in the keyword fountain pens and then they expect these tools like Jasper to produce a perfect 1400 word article. And mm. that's not how it's done. It's actually an iterative process. So you can use Jasper to, for example, produce a very good quality article, but there has to be a thinking person behind it. There has to be someone who is directing the article phrase by phrase and paragraph by paragraph. So if you when you use Jasper, for example, if you watch someone, you know, who's very clever using it, they will type in a phrase, they'll type in a sentence, and then they'll judge that sentence. Does it sound right? Are we on the right track? Is Jasper on the right track down the right path to truly answer the searcher's question? So if someone's wanting to buy a fountain pen for a gift for a graduation present, there's no good just typing fountain pen into Jasper or any of these other uh, tools. What you need to do is you need to say, well, what are the choices that we make? in buying a graduation gift for someone, whether they're male or female. And so what Jasper does is it makes the writing process faster by producing sentences that someone can then consider using. But you must then rework the words, you know, with a little bit of creativity and a bit of love. So Jasper doesn't use interesting words. It doesn't use hyperbole or exaggeration. It's been trained to provide a vanilla output that meets a very basic need. So it, it just constructs the sentence in a grammatically correct way, but it doesn't say anything interesting or surprising. It doesn't have a creative flair. It can't dance with the words. Mm. And everyone, I think, recognises that's why literature is so popular. You know, Hemingway, for example, he, he was so careful with his word usage. And then there's other writers that, you know, will absolutely dance with their words. And that's where the pleasure comes in reading. So Jasper and tools like it are certainly beautifully useful for constructing an article on how to give a graduation gift as a fountain pen, perhaps. But there's nothing that Jasper can say about the heartache of spending countless hours working on your PhD. Jasper doesn't understand that. And that's never where, lived it. Yeah. That's where the creativity comes in. And that's why the queen is so important. You know, content is king, but there's this, there's this creativity and there's this human element that's really desperately needed on the internet because it makes it more fun. Absolutely. I like this human element. I'm an AI graduate, funnily enough. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. From the 90s when it was still a thing. It was quite philosophical. Obviously, now it's changed a lot. But I'm a great believer that AI has a role, but mm. it can't replace the human touch. You know, what AI is very good at is automating a lot of process. It takes a lot of the heavy lifting away, but it can never, for example, it can never replace this, like you and me talking as two human beings. You, you could have a bot doing this. And you know, you get those awful videos on YouTube where you load them up and you get the AI voice and it's like, oh, skip. It can game the system in terms of the search for sure. 
but I'm not sticking around. And what I want is a human. Yeah, it gives a little artificial bump. And the problem is that a lot of SEOs think that the only way to win in the search engine rankings is purely through sort of maths driven, um, you know, left brain kind of thinking. They think that if they just follow the rules and follow the rules better than anyone else, that they will win. They'll rank, you know, at the top of the search engines. And so they use these tools like Jarvis to shortcut that because they think, well, if I produce a lot of content with Jarvis, then I'll win. But Google has a room full, I always say Google's were a room full of PhD engineers who are literally working on um, how to stay ahead of the SEOs. We've got no chance. But mm. the thing that they, the thing that those engineers aren't looking for, well, they are looking for is they're looking for that creativity. The algorithm is geared towards surprising things that get their own life and traction. And so, yeah, I totally agree with you. AI, I think we're, the, the mistake that people come into it is they, they're so used to the article spinners from 10, 20 years ago that you know, they could spin out a thousand pages and Google couldn't really tell the difference in that. And they, they, they think that they can use these AI tools in the same way that they use those article spinners. They don't realize that the AIs um, are an iterative process where you actually handhold Jasper along the way. And that's where the true benefit of those tools comes in. Hmm. Yeah, my, my experience in using them is it, that they kind of have a basic purpose, but they can never replace a human writing the article. And I've even found in the worst case scenarios using one of those, not a spinner, but an AI copywriter, which would effectively give you ideas. You know, you would give you headline outlines and so on. If you type in fountain pens, it would say, okay, you know, gift ideas for graduations and stuff like that. It would probably go that far. But what I found was quite interesting is the one that I used, or I used a number actually, and I'm more just curious to see how they turn out. The one I used actually used somebody else's content from their website. And I was quite surprised because Google doesn't like that, but purely on the basis of being plagiarism wasn't very good in terms of an output. They kind of copied, they copied a random chunk of an article from somebody else's website and took it completely out of context and then dumped it in this article. And it didn't make any sense whatsoever. I could see yeah, that might be good for stuffing your keywords on the page, but the whole purpose of getting searched now and getting people to your site is well beyond simply stuffing keywords, isn't it? I mean, Google's smart. It knows who lands on your site, how long they stick around. It can see if there's human behavior there. You know, mm. do you go to the website? Do you like click around to other things? Do you stay for a while? You know, are you driving traffic to the website? So I think it's getting harder and harder to game, isn't it? It's looking for engagement. It's looking for those metrics, exactly as you say. There's an user experience algorithm that's come out recently, and it's just looking for people to stay on the site, to click around, and to share it with their friends. And if it's and if you do the work, if you like, this is my experience. If you do the work and you just become creative with it, and be, being creative with content is just sitting back and and having some fun, lightening up and not sort of working, you know, deeply on a topical cluster and making sure that every single, you know, subheading is optimized, you know, there has to be a little bit of delight in the content. And when you, I sometimes say we, we've got a, a type of content that we do sometimes that are called um, fun drunk auntie. And, um, and so it's these little, you know, so of course we do the, the standard, you know, all our work is based on SEO principles, but the SEO principles are all about making it easier for the crawler 
to crawl your website, just to find your website. So if you follow the SEO principles, that's all about just making it easy for Google mm. to find you. But fun drunk auntie content is things like, um, what, are the, what are the handwriting styles say about the rich and famous? And so it's funny stuff like that that can sell a, pa a fountain pen because people are drawn to that content. And as long as it delivers and it's a bit of fun, then they have this brand awareness of that particular company that might sell the fountain pens. So, and you can't get an AI to create ideas even for fun drunk aunties. They just mm. come out of left field. They've never had a fun drunk auntie. Have you never had one? I've got one. No, I mean, no, I'm saying the AI has <laughs> never had one. That's why it wouldn't right. understand it. Wouldn't understand right. the context of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. I think we, we've got to talk about where this problem is probably the most magnified. And you work a lot with e-commerce stores and e-commerce startups. And often these companies operate in the background. They're not well-known companies. They may be individuals, small teams, but Often they're churning out high volume of sales, reliant a lot in many cases on Amazon as their platform. So let's talk about those players. Who are these people? What are they selling? And then once we've got that, talk about how they're using content up until now. Tell us a little bit about those people that you work quite closely with. So we work with a lot of e-commerce entrepreneurs. So we will often work with people who are doing between 5 million and 20 or $40 million in annual revenue. And what they, the, the way they get there, particularly the guys who are doing 5 million, they get there based on the back of the Amazon platform. So they might discover a special little widget that they want to sell, you know, a little sunglasses clip holder, or perhaps they're drop shipping, um, you know, automotive parts or whatever it might be that they've stumbled across in one of their Amazon mastery kind of courses that they've done, you know, cut, uh, wooden cutting boards is another favorite. These guys um, manage to harness the Amazon platform beautifully and they build an they build these incredible businesses, particularly in the US. In America, there's the, the size of the economy and the, the population size that makes these businesses able to scale and grow extremely quickly and very profitably. And what happens is these guys get to a certain size where they've got shipping containers coming from China into the US and they've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on these shipping containers. They've also, um, are subject to the whims of Amazon's customer service support people. And there's all these little dirty tactics that go on. And what happens is, and when I say dirty tactics, there's things like we've got one client who made a, a diaper bag, a nappy bag for men. And he discovered that the Chinese had found his um, product on Amazon, had noticed that it was in the number one position, it was making millions. And so they copied it right down to the product shot of his girlfriend sitting on a park bench with the handbag slung over her shoulder. They, um, the sellers, the Chinese sellers made a sort of a copyright infringement against this client of mine and his listing was taken down at the same wow. time. So he had um, half a million dollars worth of product on its way from China to America into um, the FBA in Amazon. And he was having sleepless nights, three o'clock in the morning, anxiety attacks, all this sort of stuff. And the reason why I say this is that when you grab the tiger by the tail, when you ride the Amazon wave, it is certainly lucrative. It's fantastic fun. It's amazing to see your bank account growing. It's amazing to be delivering the product, the, the dream that you've had 
to so many consumers who are so thrilled with it. But if there's a copyright infringement, suddenly Amazon just takes down your store and you might have product on its way over. If there's someone who just simply copies your product, you can suddenly lose your listing. And sometimes even Amazon will copy your product to take you out of the game. And so what happens is these guys, part of their 3 a.m. anxiety attacks is because they have nowhere to run. They have no backup plan. They have this tiger by the tail and they know it and they are death scared that one day their whole business will suddenly be turned off by Amazon. And so what they use us for a lot of the time is to create their own brand. They they get us to write about their product for their audience um, and to establish a brand on Shopify or Big Commerce or WooCommerce, whatever the other platform is. Because when you own your channel, when you own your own website, Google is a little bit kinder. Google doesn't suddenly just drop you one day. Um, you sort of know it's coming with Google. But it's it's it means that it shores up their revenue, it shores up their brand awareness so that the clients, um, their customers, if they, you know, suddenly can't find that favorite water bottle, you know, on Amazon, they'll go looking for it, that brand, they'll go looking for it online. Because of course, um, I think everyone probably knows by now, Graham, that um, Amazon owns the customer. So you can never, you can only own the customer if you have some, you know, mind share. So if they are aware of your brand. And so that's why people use us to create that content is it's just that brand awareness, just to sort of de-risk, de-risk their entire operation. It's about building a barrier to entry, isn't it? I mean, the brand is a barrier to entry to the competition. The guy that had his product listing removed because he had a copyright strike from a competitor, you know, that's the stuff of nightmares for an entrepreneur. But if your product was identifiable as a brand, it gives you a lot more sustainability. If you you think about it, like in, I mean, normal business, you take, for example, a brand like Red Bull, which is just sugar and caffeine in water. I mean, and everybody's tried to, to rip it off, you know, Coke, Pepsi, and all those kind of knockoff brands. And the only way that they've really stayed in the market and ahead of the game is producing content. They're a content media company. They're all about producing content, 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 whether, you know, it's the, the stories of the athletes, the stuff that they produce that push out there. It's all about, this is our brand. This is the moat that we're building around the castle. As soon as you take that away, you know, now it's down to price. Now it's down to who can ship faster, cheaper. And that's a race to the bottom, isn't it? And I imagine on Amazon, Amazon loves that. I mean, if everybody's undercutting everybody, you know, and everybody's getting cheaper shipping, mm-hmm. you know, what the customer really wants is the cheapest possible product, then Amazon wins. But, you know, in that market, all you're going to get is like flyby competition, isn't it? That like people will come in, yeah, yeah. they'll undercut everybody, you know, remove all the profits out of the market. And then it's just, you know, a, a commodity. Yeah, absolutely. But you can't commoditize a brand. So the absolute keyword Nirvana is your brand name. If someone is searching, and that's what we do with our stuff as well, we notice over time that, you know, people will start, let's say, searching for day uh, for uh, fountain pens. You know, that's a great keyword to rank for on Amazon or even, you know, just on the internet generally, fountain pens is great. But the Nirvana is when someone actually searches your brand mm. name. And when you see your brand name growing, that is absolutely 
you know, that's a moat. That's absolutely defensible moat. Whereas um, Amazon, you know, subjugates brands and very much, um, you know, this, yeah, anyway. Poor brands, I feel for them a lot of the time. Yeah, well, you know, the tiger by the tail, you know, they know mm. the risk they're getting into. I mean, and there is a culture, isn't it, very much. We can talk a little bit about that, that the culture of these e-commerce entrepreneurs is, you know, the kind of people involved. It's very much referencing each other. You know, they're all looking at each other. They they tend to be a similar type of person. I know you mentioned the word guys. Yes. I imagine it's very male, isn't it? Very bro heavy, yeah. young entrepreneurs, the guys in Chiang Mai and yep. Changu, yeah. this group as well. I'm sure they're all kind of looking at each other. There's those real success stories out there. There's, there's kind of a semi-famous one of a guy who creates those cat scratch poles. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You know, it's like the yeah. presentation that gets circulated on the internet when you want to start your own drop shipping outfit. Yeah, it was like five years ago, it was wooden cutting boards and, you know, and, you know, five years before that, it was supplements. And and the thing is, is that they all, I mean, which is fine. You, you've you got to follow a template. You know, Graham, we're sort of, you know, having a bit of a go at them. But, you know, you have to follow a template sometimes. You've got to follow the leader to find success in business. There's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with getting a bit of a hand up by using the Amazon platform to, you know, to get a hand up, to get some cash flow going. But I just think at some point, and this is the point where we sort of our clients sort of look for us, is that at some point they realize that they have to be original and that they have to be creative with their approach because the only way to outstep your competition is to be truly original and creative because there's no map for when you are growing a massive business in a very new sector, a new market, or when you're creating a market for a particular product that's brand new. There's no roadmap for that. And so that's where the content comes in and, and content creates that brand awareness and it creates that connection with customers. And as you say, the Red Bull, you know, and Nike, you know, were very famous with this, with creating stories around athletes. So you don't have to make a story just around your own brand and how you built it or whatever it might be. You can borrow other people's stories, but at the heart of it, once you've written how to use a wooden cutting board and, you know, how to clean a wooden cutting board and what is a wooden cutting board and what are the five types of wooden cutting boards, at some point you've got to write content for your audience about some what not to put on a wooden cutting board you know, or something more interesting. Maybe you borrow recipes or maybe you really get into the, the different types of wood that can be yeah, used. Sustainability be and you have a you have a sort of a program about sustainability, how you replant trees, you know, with drones or something. That becomes then your story for your brand, which resonates with people. But on Amazon you can't have stories. So that's the Yeah. That's the and it doesn't want you to have stories. It's a bit right. like TikTok, isn't it? If you think I think that I see a lot of people on TikTok trying to build a brand and some do, and it's a bit like Hollywood, isn't it? Yeah, 1% do, but 99% are sort of waiting tables trying to break through. And TikTok and Amazon are very similar and they have a vested interest in owning the flow of attention. You know, it, it's almost it's almost like a casino in that sense that the house always wins. Yeah, gamblers do win when they walk into Vegas casinos. But 99% walk out with a lot less than when they started. You know, the house, because it's playing everybody, comes out on top. And TikTok and Amazon are very similar. They can give you a lot. They can deliver the jackpots. But, you know, as a way to build a business, it's tough. You've got to take that and try and build your own asset somewhere. And I can see that's what you're doing by creating these stories 
around these, well, products effectively. They don't have a brand yet. But one I'm curious about, and I'm sure people are wondering, well, it's all very well if you're Red Bull, but, you know, I'm selling cutting ports here. It's like, yeah. what do I do? Okay, let, let's make it a little bit easier. I'm, okay, I'm procuring coffee, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Um, and I come to you and say, look, I, I want to build a brand. I, I, I'm selling, you know, I'm shifting two mil on Amazon with this organic coffee. Um, what do I do with this? Walk me through the steps. What should I think about? working with you, you know, like tell me how you could sort of create content around that, what kind of content you would create, what should I expect long-term and so on. Mm, okay, so if you, were do, if you were to do coffee, for example, the first thing you need to do is you need to take care of the housework and the housework is literally writing articles about coffee. You just have to make sure that your product descriptions talk about coffee, that you are coffee and the values of that coffee, the benefits of that coffee, etc. And then you create um, what we call topic clusters. You create a topical cluster map of, let's say, 10 or 20 articles that just talk about the coffee. Where is it from? How is it, um, you know, how is it ground? Where is it grown? Um, you know, what makes your the way that you roast it a little bit more special or your packaging or whatever it might be? But it's got to be about coffee, 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 coffee and that's it right and then what you do is once you've got that cluster of content on your website google will crumb along and crawl google is just, i'd say it's a dumb robot but like it's a very smart robot of course but it is just a computer algorithm and seo is the same as it was 10 years ago it's just looking for what is this website about now if you start writing about um the mugs that you give away for free with your coffee google is going to think that it's your website's about mugs or if you start writing about um i don't know the best coffee shops in town then google's going to think you're about the best coffee shops and this is the mistake we see a lot of people make is the first cluster of articles just stick to your topic it's really simple just stick to the topic of coffee and google will crawl your website and say hey this site sells coffee this is about coffee because it can recognize that you sell coffee because it can see a shopify store or woocommerce it can see that code and it recognizes it also then knows what to expect in your store because it identifies you as a coffee store as an e-commerce store it expects to see certain things such as an about page it expects to see an address for a warehouse it expects to see contact details These are all the things you need to take care of in those first moments when you're setting up that store. And then after that, once you've taken care of the housework, once you've, once you've laid the foundation stones, the next thing that comes in is the, what I call the fun drunk auntie stuff. And so that could be, you can do anything you like that resonates with your brand, but it's really important to be Oh, that's that cop. Someone brilliant taught me this a few days ago. Um, oh, that's that store that talks about this, or that's that business that stands for this. And when there's that sort of resonance with the audience, and so your resonance with a coffee store might be you might do um, interviews with um, coffee cafe with cafes. And to say, well, we're a wholesaler to these guys and we do these uh, interviews with these cafe founders and we ask them for their tips and tricks on how to make the perfect coffee. But as long as it's an entire series, then that's something that people will get hooked on. Or it might be something like, you know, you might sort of say, you know, what are the weirdest places people have found coffee in the world? 
Um, you know, then there might be a travel inspired story. And so then people, they, when they buy your coffee, they feel like they're traveling. They're not just having their coffee at your desk in the morning. You know, they're sitting and they're looking at the computer and they're checking their emails for that split moment that they're having that coffee. They're thinking of, you know, some beautiful travel story that they read on that store owner's blog. So there are so many ways to resonate with that audience, with your brand. And it's literally just being a little bit creative with the ideas. It's not just following an SEO pattern all the time and stopping at that point. And I think that's the mistake most people make is they they use these artificial intelligence tools, these AIs to just generate content, you know, 1400 words of, you know, this is what we think Google wants. And then they, you know, follow all the SEO principles to the absolute T and they try and follow the principles even better and more hardcore than the next guy. But then they get stuck and they say, why isn't this working? What's happened? And, um, you know, that's when a creative agency will come in. You know, you can hire marketers to do this kind of thinking for you. You can hire artists to do this kind of thinking for you. And it's those wild ideas that they come up with. That's the magic. That's the magic step from going from SEO content to truly creative SEO content that goes viral is it's just a little bit of creativity on top. So that's what I would do if it was a coffee store. You do the groundwork, you do all the housekeeping in the beginning, and then when you've got confidence in the content, you then just create a story and you keep telling that story through content because that's the only channel you can own. You can only own your own website and your own website, email, and your blog, and all of those three things is just content or even a podcast. You can own a podcast because that can reside on your website as well. And Google's getting good at reading or um, figuring out audio files, but you've got to own your own channel to truly have a chance of creating a brand or to even to selling a business in the future. That's awesome advice. Do business owners tend to go with one or the other? Like, do you see, for example, people only doing the housework and not the story or people even just doing the story and not the housework, you know, they're kind of yeah, building. Yeah, absolutely. I imagine that these are the mistakes that they make. Is there a, a process to this? I mean, cause I'm curious in what you're saying. You got me thinking now is like, do, do the housework, you know, do your foundations, lay the foundations and then let Google find it and work out what, well, yeah, this is, this is a coffee website. I get it. And they sell coffee cause they got, uh, you know, an e-commerce store attached to it. Is there, you know, is there a timeline to that? Do I have to kind of like put the foundations in, wait, wait for Google to come, check it all out. And then once that's done, we can do the rest. Is there a process to that? Yeah, it, you're always, so if you've got a low domain rating, so if you've got a brand new website, it can take up to six months for Google to come in and find you and crawl your website. So what people do is they produce a lot of content, but it's literally written in Google's advanced blogger guidelines. It's these, these four words, one, two, three, four, write well and often. It's the first bullet point, write well and often. That's it. That's that. That is SEO. Now, of course, there's nuances to that. Um, you know, writing well means, you know, you got to follow all the rules and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But often is also key. And people give up way too early because for a brand new website, it will take maybe four to six months to see any signs of life. And so everyone gives up because, of course, Google hasn't created, um, a, a, you know, a dashboard. So Google's created Google, Ad, you know, AdWords as a dashboard for all the SEOs and, you know, marketers to see, oh, if I put in all this money, it gives me this result and here's my conversion rate. 
Whereas organic is so different to that. There's no dashboard. So, you know, as everyone knows, 98% of Google's, um, you know, entire revenue is from ads. So, of course, Google gives you a dashboard to give you that illusion that you're controlling this massive system. But there's no dashboard for organic content. There's literally none. So, there are some pseudo tools like Hrefs and Moz um, and uh, what's the other guys called? Anyway, there's some other tools that help you to have a little bit of insight into organic search. But again, they're quite expensive and they're only guessing because, again, they just have to sort of, you know, see what Google's up to. But so for a brand new site, it takes about six months. But for uh, newer, uh, newer sites that have traction. So we've had a client that um, was in the gardening niche and he was getting a couple of million visitors a month, uh, a year, I beg your pardon, a couple of mil- million a year. And it took two weeks for our content to just hit all the top five positions because Google knows that he, he, he's been writing well and often for several years. And he's been so consistent with it that for us, when we created this different type of content for him, he was able to rank very quickly for it because Google knew that it was going to be good content and that he was going to keep producing it. Whereas for brand new stores, for clients that we've had, they, they it's so frustrating because, you know, they'll buy a batch of articles from us and then it's like, Katrina, when is this going to work? And I say, you, you have to be, you have to have faith. You have to just, as one of my one of my staff told me recently, you have to flex your faith. You have to just have faith that this will work and it will work, but it takes time. It just takes time and patience. And, and, but that's where the magic is because most people give up too soon. Hmm. How, how do they know they're chasing the right um, keywords or chasing the right content as well? That, that, I, I think the, the point about, you know, waiting four to six months if you're a new uh, store or new websites, people can understand that. But I, I guess the fear somebody may have is what if this is the wrong thing that I'm focusing on? Okay, yeah, I get it. I'm selling coffee and about coffee is fine, but that's a very broad market, isn't it? And I'm sure, you know, maybe some people are thinking they have a product that people don't know that the product is a solution. Then maybe they should be focusing on the problem, if you like, you know, maybe. Yeah, you can absolutely do that. So all the problems are written into the search engines and they're in a people also ask section. So if you were to type in the keyword coffee and you literally just add the word why or what or who or how, Google will give you um, a bunch of suggestions for similar questions that other people have also asked. You can literally just write articles that answer those questions. And that's a great starting point for people because it's very effective because Mm. you're answering a query that Google has already highlighted in the search engine. But you just mm. have to answer it in a, you know, reasonably interesting way that then, you know, leads on to your story without being too promotional about your product. And how does this all fit into social media? Because I'm sure some people are thinking that it's an option, you know, it's this versus social media, or, you know, why do I need to do this when, you know, maybe I can just advertise on Instagram. I mean, Instagram is an effective tool for generating e-commerce sales. And, Absolutely. You know, yeah. it, it can generate, it can turn on the taps and there you go. You get a lot of traffic if you're in the right place, right time, et cetera, et cetera. So how does it sort of, how does it fit in with all of those? I'm, I'm curious about Instagram and also, for example, you know, Facebook, I guess is part of it as well. But do these work together? Do you see these as options? And walk me through that. If I was the coffee e-commerce store, you know, I'm looking at Instagram now. What are your thoughts on that? 
So, Graham, mature businesses have multiple channels of customers, customer acquisition. Um, a very new business will have one channel of customer acquisition, which might be just Amazon, or if they have a Shopify store, it might just be Instagram because Instagram's where their audience is and where that resonates. When um, a business reaches a little more maturity, those founders usually will know that it's one trick pony to only stay with Instagram because if anything in the, uh, if the um, algorithm changes, then they're, you know, back to square one. So whilst Whilst these things like Instagram, like whilst these social media channels like TikTok and Instagram are certainly very beneficial, um, often what happens is when the new platform comes out, it's very affordable because no one's flooded it. Everyone hasn't flooded that platform yet. So there's this influx of all these people that becomes very affordable. These people, of course, come back to the internet and all the online marketers and say, oh my gosh, I'm getting, I'm getting, you know, CPCs of, you know, this and that, you know, two cents. I can pay two cents to get my customers to come to me. And those stories propagate and everyone says, oh, wow, you know, I can do that too. Why am I, why am I having to pay $49 when he was only paying five cents? Oh, he must have some magic that I don't. Well, it's just that the platforms get more popular and it becomes harder to buy attention on those platforms. Those channels are certainly, um, if a mature business has multiple channels because a mature business de-risks its customer acquisition flow by making sure that nothing's going to screw it up in the future, like something unexpected is going to come along. So with, and the other thing that I like to sort of try to explain to people is that um, I look at it like a rocket ship. When you put money into Instagram, and you, um, the, the money is the fuel that goes into a rocket ship and it takes off and it looks spectacular and you can see it going up and it's, you know, it's driven by engineers and, you know, it has this burst of energy and it brings you all these sales. As soon as you stop paying for the fuel, as soon as you stop paying for the ads, it all comes crashing back to earth. Like it just, the tap gets turned off. Whereas with content, you can, content can never, ever be taken away from you. It's like, um, I've used all these analogies, I'm sorry, but it's like adding bricks to a second story house. So when you've got your, your bungalow with one story and you want to increase the value of that house to sell it in the future, you can certainly say, oh, well, I've got this Instagram following, but you know, as soon as that Instagram following doesn't work or, you know, whatever it might be, or you turn the tap off, it's no longer available. But with content, it's just another brick on your house. You can never, every article that you create, and some of our clients have thousands of articles. What people don't realize is that the very best, most mature businesses will have, you know, an absolute banger of a Instagram or TikTok account. They'll be masters at that, but they will also have thousands of articles in the background because they, they've used those articles to test what is what are people searching for on the internet and once you've got though that content in your site it can never ever disappear it will never ever be taken away from you and when you go to sell your business you'll say well here's this product and i've got all these sales but look at how big my house is look at how big my second story is it's it's worth so much more than it was i've value added to it with all this content yeah very interesting angle i like the idea of creating the asset which could then be solved long-term. If you're building an e-commerce business, one of the worries somebody's gonna have as an acquirer is, you know, is the value of that business gonna walk out the door when I sell it, you know, with the founder and I don't know what else 
he's got going on or you know is it because he's been doing these posts or these stories on instagram or facebook that's, that's driving ephemeral. traffic you know tiktok's ephemeral it's here and then it's mm. gone we've all seen all these social media and i'm not having a go like these are excellent brilliant ways to build businesses they are genius you get that rocket ship which you need which takes you to leaps and bounds so these rocket ships will leap you to the next level of business. It'll take you from a $5 million business to a 10, to a $20, $20 million business. They will, they will do these massive leaps. But the steadiness of content are like the foundation stones that just kind of tick along. Yeah, great analogy. And as a writer, you should use analogies. I think that's the purpose, isn't it? To paint the picture in our head. Let's talk a bit about your business, Katrina. So. Copysmiths, obviously, you are the recognizable face and voice of the business, but you have a lot of people behind you. I mean, because you don't have an army of AI algorithms, you've got no. people. Yeah. Tell us a bit about the size of the business and the kind of people working with you. Yeah, sure. Well, so I began as a blogger. Like I love, love, love blogging, but I've never sat down and written the blogs myself. Um, I loved coming up with the ideas, but I'm not a fantastic writer. And I recognize that even though I absolutely love blogging and blogs. And so I started write, working with writers who could help me craft what it was that I wanted to say. And so now we've got a team of about 40 to 50 writers, but the, the most beautiful thing about this that I absolutely love is they're all from Kenya. So uh, I would say, I would say out of the, I'd say about 95% of the writers are from Kenya. They're mostly from Nairobi. Um, Kenya is absolutely the most beautiful place. Their, their education system is, and especially their tertiary level education is exceptional. And people might not know this, they're originally British um, colonial rule. And so therefore English is their first language. They have a focus on arts and literature and um they and you know the but the sad thing is is they've got massive unemployment so and particularly amongst the younger people millennials so our writers tend to be highly educated they tend to have things like um they tend to be poets or authors they tend to have um masters in marketing degrees they tend to be engineers accountants they tend to all be tertiary tertiary educated but they can't get work because it's something like the last time i checked the statistics it was something because i was so confused why there were so many amazing people i checked and it's something like 50 percent unemployment rate Mm. or millennials in Kenya. Wow. And so they are just, you know, itching to get work because they're also very hardworking people. And they also, the other disadvantage they suffer from is that they don't have access to the typical Upwork and freelancer.com type platforms. So um, for whatever reason, I haven't quite worked out why, um, but they don't have the same access to those platforms that everyone else in the world does in the Philippines or, you know, in um, Eastern Europe. So it's this new thing when I sort of say, you know, I, I belong to a couple of communities and I sort of say, you know, I, I, I hire all, you know, all my peoples, my lovely peoples come from Kenya and everyone's like, what, you know, where is that? And I'm sort of like, well, it's the most fabulous place on earth as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's awesome. You've really tapped into a pool of talent. I think with the, the Upwork part, it's more to do with the payment systems probably on their side. I know even though they were quite advanced on mobile payments early on compared to the rest of the world, big innovations came out of Kenya with M-Pesa, I think, with the mobile pay. Yeah, they've still got access to PayPal and Wise. So we mm. pay the Kenyans via Wise and PayPal. 
Mm. Um, and Wise in particular works brilliantly well, and then they transfer it over to their wallets, their M-Pesa wallets. Mm. It may just be Upwork insists on having traditional bank accounts. That's why. And it might most be. Of them and a lot of people are unbanked. Yeah. 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 So a big part of it. So that's, uh, you know, you've tapped into a market there. Obviously, highly educated, creative. Mm. English is a first language as well, which is a big deal as well because, you know, I've commissioned yeah. work. Yeah. And if I, you know, you can just hear yeah. that voice in your head. This person it. is not native. Yeah. No. It's no. really hard to write. I mean, it, writing is like drawing, isn't it? People think they can draw or pro- maybe even singing. No. As soon as I see the word surely in an article, I just go, yep, I know, I know which uh, region that was written in. You know, it's there's all these little um, nuances in their writing, all these little, mm. you know, little bits and pieces that you just read and you go, oh, God, that's not, you know, just it's just strung together mm. as opposed to dancing. Yeah, absolutely. And that puts the work on the client, doesn't it? Because if the client then has to do the quality checks and uh, that's not quite right, it doesn't feel right, you know, you, you're going to lose the client and they're not going to get the organic human traffic that they're looking for, right? They keep, keep coming back. They're going to lose that voice in their work as well, aren't they? Because it's going to feel yeah. just a bit odd. doesn't feel well, right. Well, a lot for of the them. time, you know, founders, particularly in that 5 million to 20 million stage, the brand still resonates with them very personally. It's very much something that they've worked unbelievably hard. They've taken massive risks with their cash. They've um, worked incredibly hard late at night, all of that sort of stuff to build this brand. And they don't want it represented with an awkward voice. You know, they want it to have the same high quality that they have had to, you know, achieve when they've manufactured their product, for example, all those little nuanced details. And sometimes when you use the content mills, you just can't get that level of quality. And they're too tired to, you know, be, you know, editing articles. It's just, and particularly when you've got to do it often, as Google says, right, well and often. And so, you know, it's just exhausting. So, yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Sometimes it's, um, but, you know, each to their own. Like it's sometimes that content does suit um, smaller businesses who are just starting out and Google doesn't mind. Google doesn't mind, you know, if there's a couple of funny little phrases here and there. Um, You know, Google likes different um, voices, but, you know, it just comes down to a personal choice that at the level, the size of the business you end up being at, you sort of just step up, you level up over time. What about you, Katrina, leveling up, getting out there? You enjoy being in the public eye, presenting, and Sometimes. famous for your teardowns yeah, of right. e-commerce websites. So what's the plan now? We're going to see more of you, aren't we, in the public eye. What are you hoping to achieve? Yeah, it's the business is at a level now where um, a couple of years ago I was running an agency and I just – there were some terrible things happening in my life at the time and I had to stop that agency and and I had to find something new. And I, as I said, I love content. I love blogging. I love literature. I love books, all of that sort of stuff. And so I, you know, really began this business from there. And, and you know, we've, over the last couple of years, we've got the most solid pro, uh, processes in the background. We just, because I'm very process driven, um, but we've got this amazing team. We've got everything in place. And now the thing I need to do is just get our story out. And what I'm going to be talking about is we've got a newsletter on our website that anyone can join. And I've also got a YouTube channel, um, but it's going to be all about creative SEO content. So if people want to learn about just how to think a little bit differently to the SEOs, uh, and it's not to say that it's, you know, that their, their way is wrong. Everything's got a purpose, as I said, but just when you get to a certain point when you've done all the SEO content and you've done all the Jarvis, you've done all the AI, and you've generated all your vanilla articles that are 
a bit plastic and a little bit boring, then I'll teach you through these screencasts that I do, I'll teach you, I'll show you some really interesting things that people are doing around the web. And so you can just get some inspiration from them. Mm. And you've created quite a lot already. I yeah, I've got a few. Yes, yes, I have a few. They're mainly internally for the team, mm. but uh, in recent times, I've started sharing it more and more um, with the outside world. Just as you know, I sort of realised, oh, I've actually got this perspective. That's you know, when you're on, on you, when you're in your own little bubble, you don't realise that you've actually got your own perspective on things. It's a bit different. And then I've been talking to a few people recently, and they've said, oh, that's a just a totally different take. And it, you know, it works. Like the thing that we, the creative stuff that we create. That's where we've had the most success in our business is when mm. we do that fun, drunk, auntie stuff. I like it. It's great. I'm excited about the journey and I think it's absolutely needed. You know, I even think for myself, our own team, our website, you know, I'm sure a lot of your listeners as well. And, you know, buying into that idea of committing to the long term of creating content is confusing in the industry because there's so many messages out there you know it's easy to fear missing out it's easy to look at those bros and feel that they you know, know something he, that you don't exactly it's tough isn't it and you feel yeah. in some way that you're kind of doing something wrong or you're not doing this the right way and it's, it's just having that faith that you know creating human content is the right thing to do but mm. it's nice what we don't have is the people who stand up and say look this works and this is how you do it and here, here's the sort of you know the method of doing it and so mm. In a, in a way, there's a space for people like you, Katrina, to stand up and do that. And that's why I think it's exciting because it's much needed. Yeah, I hope so. I'm hoping that, you know, I've been around SEOs all my career. They're my, my bestest friends. My best online friends are all SEO guys. Um, but it's just recently I've come into my own where I've had confidence, where I've sort of said, you know, I, I actually do things very differently to these guys, but there's a reason why um, they're friends with me is because I add a huge amount of value on the creative side that they don't think like that. They don't think like me. And so it's quite unusual being female um, and in this SEO world. And I just, I, and I used to sort of think, oh, maybe I'm just not as clever as them. Maybe I'm just not as maths brain as them and into statistics. But now I sort of, you know, as I get older, I sort of think, well, I, I've got all the successes that show that the content that we create, which is creative, it works. I just don't, it's, I just don't track it in the same way that they do. But yeah, no, it is. It's exciting. It's exciting. So thanks for asking about that. Katrina McKinnon, everybody. Copysmiths, where do we go? Where do we find out more about you? Copysmiths.com. Keeping it easy. Yeah. Katrina, really enjoyed this. Looking forward to the journey and seeing where it takes you and also, you know, getting that voice out there. Much needed. Katrina McKinnon, everybody. Thanks for joining us on the Excel show. Thanks. Thank you, Graham. You've been listening to the Excel podcast with me, Graham Brown. To subscribe and discover more conversations, go to www.xlpodcast.org.